Hola, hola, everyone. Welcome back. It's another episode of Sasso y Corazón. Uh, I'm bundled up in uh, a blanket today, but hopefully when you hear this, I will be coming back from the islands with a nice tan <laughs> and well-rested. Uh, but for now, I'm so excited for you all to be here. I am uh, joined by a special guest. Cheryl, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I want to get some of the sun that you're going to come back with. <laughs> Take me with you. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want to go. So I'm Cheryl Aguilar. I am a therapist at the Hope Center for Wellness, which is a community-based uh, healing practice uh, focused on holistic healing. And I'm also the founder and director of the practice. Yay. And I'm so excited because we connected on social media. And I think it was just one of those things where like, we're in the same area. We're doing very similar things. And we're just like, why didn't we, why didn't we meet before? <laughs> I know. I, that is, that's exactly how I felt. It was like meant to be, you know, and yes. I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. So it's really amazing to be here today. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. So let's get started. There's, there's so much to talk about. And I feel like I always want to pick, you know, a practitioner's brain. So I'm, I'm going to do exactly that. Um, before we start into what you do for work and things like that, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your journey. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal mental health journey? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I sometimes laugh with my husband and I say, I really hope that there's therapy in heaven because I love therapy <laughs> so much. And when I go to heaven, I, I think I'm still going to need it and I'm still going <laughs> to want it. Uh, you know, I came across therapy for myself in my early 20s. Um, I had just moved to DC and I um, was dealing with the transition, feeling like, you know, I took a job that I loved, but somehow I was anxious and depressed and it didn't make sense in my head. You know, how could mm. I be anxious and depressed when um, I'm happy with my job? You know, like that the, the two didn't connect. And I started going to a therapist back then. And I remember it was, it was a really hard decision to make because, um, that's not what I've been told in terms of uh, how do we deal with our issues. I was raised uh, both in my family and in my culture, in, in the Latinx culture, uh, with the idea that we take, um, we keep our issues at home. We mm -hmm. talk amongst ourselves. Sometimes we don't talk about it, you know, yeah. other ways of dealing with challenges. So for me to come outside of that, um, of everything that I knew was, was really difficult. And I remember when... Um, I started telling friends, I, I never forget there was one comment around, but you know, you're so strong. Mm. Why do you need therapy? You're so strong. And that is exactly why I feel like people don't go to therapy, right? Because of all these misconceptions and ideas that finding help or seeking support means weakness. And, mm. um, and I still went, you know, I still went uh, against what other people may say my family was supportive. I think I might have been the first one in my family to seek therapy. And, and I loved it. You know, for me, uh, I didn't know much about therapy initially. Um, I felt like it was a safe space to come and talk about things that I couldn't really tell other people about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oof. And the, the idea I'm going to, I'm going to really focus here because it's, it's happened to me. And I know so many women, even just the conversations on this podcast is that they equate their work to their value and that that is the only thing that matters. Right. Um, but that's not true. We are whole people and we have lives and feelings and experiences that are outside 
of work. And I think at least one of the things for me is that because, you know, particularly in our community, in the Latinx community, that we had to focus on surviving. Therefore, your your ability to contribute to that was the value. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the case for everything, right? Like we can pay attention to ourselves. We can take care of ourselves, even if, you know, we are the first or it's very different from what we're used to. Um, but yes, I, I have found myself, I'm like, I, I'm doing amazing. I got my master's. I'm, you know, I'm going to work at X location and I'm doing amazing things. Why don't, why don't I feel happy? It's because your work doesn't equate to happiness. <laughs> right, exactly. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think we, you know, society in, in a way is uh, part to blame, but I think we have the power to take all those messages back. Like we, you know, we're told that by a certain time in life, we need to have X, Y, and Z. You know, we have all these deadlines and timelines and we, we live in a world that, um, promotes productivity and doing and then we start believing all those messages the more we do the better we are but then what happens yeah. when they're taken away then yeah. you're left with no self so I think um nurturing the the parts of ourselves they make us whole as you were saying the mind the body the soul what makes us sing you know what makes yeah. our hearts sing oh that I love that yeah yeah <laughs> fulfilling those things that are going to stay with you. You know, your job may not stay with you. You may find another job or you may decide not to work or whatever it is that your journey may be, but mm -hmm. it's important that you fulfill yourself. So when those external things goes away, your internal self remains stable and strong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've had this conversation a lot recently where, you know, I'm always chasing the next thing, but I am exhausted, right? And my body is telling me I'm exhausted, right? Like mm -hmm. my mind is now manifesting into pain and other things. And then I had to sit down and my friends were like, you need to take a break. And you're like, I'm, I'm like, you're right. I'm not even 30. Like, why am I rushing? <laughs> Where am I running to, right? Like there's no need for me to go hundred miles per hour and neglect myself along the way when I can, I can afford to take the time to breathe, right? Like I can afford to slow down and it's probably best for me to do so. <laughs> um, and I think it's that dialogue, I think it's yeah. that internal dialogue that your ability to pause and say, why am I doing this? Your ability to self-reflect about our behaviors and thoughts and emotions is what yeah. can make difference I, I think you know in, in mindfulness sometimes we talk about how like self-awareness is like one of the first steps to healing and just being able to cultivate huh I'm curious about why I do this like having that curiosity allows mm -hmm. us to maybe make a different choice yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I because I was not even I wasn't even aware <laughs> it took a long time for me to even get here <laughs> in therapy. <laughs> uh, so question for you, what, what part of your story has impacted you the most and where you are today, right? Like when people ask you about your story, what is it that you feel grounded in that you go back to me, like this particular moment or this experience, right? Um, you know, influences where you are today. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I felt like I've always known, but I think the more I learn about myself, the more I understand why I do certain things and how my story has shaped those choices. And, and I would say, you know, uh, my, my family separation story and my family immigration story has really mm -hmm. shaped 
how I want to do things, the kind of work that I do, the kind of projects that I do. You know, family separations is a part of the migration story, families coming together or families coming at different times. And, you know, unconsciously, I think I have picked many, many kind of jobs or choices that uh, promote um, in, you know, integrity or wholeness or coming together, you mm-hmm. know, um, actually it's funny because I was um, going through like, what are my personal values and my professional values and the word integrity came out and, and in talking to a coach, she's like, that makes a lot of sense. You experience a separation and now you're aimed to make everything whole, like everyone come together, connect all the mm. And so, yeah, and I think my immigration story, um, you know, itself, being an immigrant uh, when I was 14, coming from Honduras, not knowing the language, all those experiences that uh, I think initially I might have not necessarily seen as barriers, but now as I look back and reflect on that younger self and all the things that she went through, I was like, wow, you know, like she had her heart and the fact that she was able to overcome and still overcoming some of those, the, some of those challenges, you know, so yeah. I think being an immigrant, having grown up into cultures, you know, I came uh, when I was 14. So I have very kind of ingrained my culture within me. And and then I am exposed to the, you know, American culture, you know, the more mainstream culture here in the U.S. and having to navigate between the two, Mm -hmm. both at home, you know, at school, now in my, in in my work life, uh, understanding why do I make some choices based on like who I am, I think is really important. And, and I think that's something that um, I didn't get to do and I'm still kind of doing until now. <laughs> like I, you know, I'm like, oh, it makes a lot of sense that I may say or act in a certain way based on this experience, you know, yeah. how I deal with conflict. Like one way that I deal with conflict is very um, kind of like relational. Like I like to sit down with people and like, okay, like we, we experienced something, let's talk about it. That may not be a way that someone else may, may do conflict. You know, may other people may be like in your face and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. ah, I understand why I'm this way. This is how my parents rate me. This is how my culture may do it. And knowing that it's important because then you don't become over apologetic, which I feel like sometimes when you don't know yourself and how and how culture has um, really shaped who you are, then you become over apologetic about who you are. I want to sit there for just a second because I feel like I have apologized for who I am a lot. And it wasn't until maybe like the last couple of years where I've just been who I am and not apologized for it. And that's in, in a variety of of settings, right? It could be work, it could be family, friends, or or whatever. But I don't know that I realized until you said it uh, that it has a lot to do with how I grew up and my culture, right? Because I also had to swing between immigrant parents and Caribbean culture, right? From being from DR and having to fit in, assimilate to a certain degree, but also like keep my uniqueness. Right. There's so much fluctuation and and like this in-between space that makes it hard for you to feel grounded sometimes. And that manifested in very weird ways that now I'm thinking through. Um, and I apologized for it. 
because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know I didn't realize that that was what was coming up right I also handle co- conflict very differently <laughs> um and and for me it's more so like I avoid I avoid it sometimes mm-hmm. I sometimes uh don't like the confrontation mm-hmm. um especially if it's in a situation where I'm uncomfortable um and that it's very evident <laughs> for why that is for me but I didn't realize that that was why I was having a lot of, you know, experiences in the workplace. And then it was impacting my mental health because I'm like, oh, it's me. I didn't know how to react in this way. Or, you know, I wasn't necessarily comfortable being my full self in a certain room or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just find it really fascinating that doing all of this self-work comes up in so many different places. I think I've, I've just went in like three different circles, but that's where I'm coming back to, right? Is this, is the work that we do for ourselves make us just better people in general and show up in a very authentic way? And you can't necessarily do that unless you actually know yourself and understand why you act, act the way you do. Absolutely. I feel like the most important job we have is to have a healthy relationship with ourselves and to know ourselves really well, because it's a self that shows up in every in every kind of interaction at work, home, community. And, and we owe it to ourselves to undo things that no longer serves us, relearn mm. things, maybe keep those things that, that still serve us, you know, so I think that's an ongoing process. Yeah, and I really like this um, work. Um, statement uh a work in progress when you share with your teams that you're still working on something and it's a work in progress so yeah. i really like think of ourselves as that you know we're like a work in progress we're continuing to evolve and i mm-hmm. think for me i have found that to be useful because i think the moment we feel like we have arrived then that may stop our growth but if mm. we think about work in progress we're like this beautiful piece of art that keeps on getting better that gives yes. us an opportunity to continue to work on ourselves I love that. I'm a work of art and I'm going to continue <laughs> yes. getting better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a beautiful I piece of that. art. I'm <laughs> definitely going to put that somewhere on the wall somewhere. <laughs> yes. I love that. I want to uh, go back to you being the first seeking therapy. And you did mention that your family was supportive. Mm-hmm. How did you end up even getting into your work and having your own practice and becoming a therapist? Yeah. You know, I, I used to think I'm like, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> like my third career. And, and, you know, the joke is like, is this your last career? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll see where life takes me. Right. Um, <laughs> we'll see where my, what my, what makes my heart sing 10 years from yeah. now. I, you know, even though I had that therapy experience, it's not something that I ever imagined like I would do like to become a therapist. Mm-hmm. I um, was working on a project, uh, a mental health awareness project with young people from one of our local communities uh, here in the DC metro area. And in that role, part of what I did was to help young people talk about their stories, their mental health stories, so we can advocate for more mental health services uh, in that particular community. So in learning how to advocate and learning how to talk to the media about their stories, they began to tell me all of what was happening in their life, their problems, mm. hopes that, you know, everything that was happening. And, and I, you know, this is, I think the youth that transformed my life. There was one particular youth who I remember came to me and he said, Miss Cheryl, like I, um, I'm thinking about hurting myself. 
you know, and he, he had suicidal ideation. And I remember, I, I mean, I completely froze because I did not really know what to do in that moment. I, I knew enough uh, to take him to talk to a counselor or give him like a hotline. But in the moment, I didn't know how I could intervene other than taking him to, to other, to someone else. And I'll never forget, he looks at me and says, but I want you to help me. Do you know how difficult it is for me to open up and share this with you? Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it was deep. And, and, I, and I think about him often. Um, he's doing great. He's like a young adult doing amazing things in the community. Oh, yeah. and, and I went home and I was like, you know, what if like he didn't talk to his counsel. What if, you know, I, I kind of wonder about the what if. And in that particular community, we were part of what we were fighting for was to have more more funds for mental health services, but to also have be able to recruit more multilingual and multi-cultural um, driven therapists. And then mm-hmm. I began to ask, well, what if I'm what what if I can be a part of that solution? What if I become a therapist, you know? And in my mind, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I already <laughs> here, like I have a good paying job, you know, go back to school. Oh my God, no. And, and I spoke to a therapist and I said, hey, like, do you, can I do this? Like, how, what do you recommend? And, and she knew my love for community. She knew that I also love to advocate. And she's like, you should look into social work because as a social worker, you can be trained um, as a clinician, but you can also learn, you know, you, you also love communities. So you can also integrate some of that. And that's kind of what led me to, to be a therapist. So I practice with different agencies in the DC metro area for a few years. And then when Trump won uh, back in 2016, I um, remember that I had to prepare to go be with young, I had a support group for young people for it was like children between six and 12. And one of the things that we had been processing with this group of immigrant youth, immigrant children was, what if this man gets elected? What would happen to my parents? And I remember, mm waking up with like my literally like with this knot in my in my throat thinking what am I going to tell these children you know how how am I going to comfort them today what you know uh, their biggest fear became true the person that they feel like would harm their parents just became elected so I remember like preparing for that having like being really nervous about that how what is the hope that we can give these children and you know, and I had this young girl who, you know, part of the the strategy then was we're going to go into the space and we're, we're going to see what what people brought up. And um, and that was the first thing that 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 came up. You know, this this man got elected. And I remember that we had this um, exercise we did. And we had them write letters or pictures. If you could say something to this man, what would you say? And and there was one letter that kind of stood out for me. And there was this letter about, I don't know what happened to you, but I really hope as a president, you are able to do a good job, that you can have some love and support from other people. And just to see the pureness of a child, the love and innocence of a child, you know, in the midst of chaos and in the midst of danger, potentially, you know, and, and after that, 
in those experiences, I felt like I needed to expand my work and be able to support community, the community in ways that I wasn't uh, working with someone else. So I, that's when that's what led me to the Hope Center for Wellness. And and hope comes right from my clients. It was it was this theme of um, that I was seeing in my sessions that no matter how difficult things are, something can still get better. So it's that hope that has inspired my work. Oh my gosh. You know, I've recorded a lot of episodes in the last couple months and I haven't cried, but this one, this one is really hard for me. And number one, number one, it's because I have kids of my own and I just cannot imagine, but this is exactly why these conversations need to happen, right? Because no child between the age of six and 12 specifically Mm -hmm. should have to be worried about their safety or being separated from their parents Right. And also have to address their own mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then for that child to still have love and hope for someone they don't even know that could potentially impact their life is mm-hmm. just, I mean, that's why we need to focus on our youth and have these conversations and, and just do better for them. I mean, yeah. my goodness. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying not to cry, but I mean that—that that is what why we do what we do. That's right. why we have these conversations and do this work. And that's why I mean that is a perfect example of why all of these systems are so connected, right? Like, yes, we can work on our mental health, but we have to understand that some of the things that are happening in terms of people in power and social justice and some of these other reform systems need to shift, right? It's not just one thing, it's all of it. Um, And all of it um, is impacting us as a whole, but especially the children, right? They have to take this world on after we're, we're gone. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I say I invite you to cry if that's what, <laughs> what, the, what the urge is, and um, yeah, there you know there are future and they're they're the generation that are, are going to help us move forward. In in the part about systems, I think it's really important for all of us to to understand that our mental health is not just like biological or it's not just, you know, genes. It's really impacted by what's happening environmentally. You know, yeah. it makes sense for us to be anxious if we have a government that is anti-immigrant. It makes sense that, you know, we experience things if we if if we're depressed or um or nervous if we don't have enough food on our tables. It makes sense that the things that happen outside of us can impact our well-being. So I think for yeah. us uh, as therapists, as a community, uh, paying attention to what's happening in our communities and being able to like advocate for better lives for people, it, it, it's, it's directly connected to our health as well. Yeah, absolutely. My daughter agrees. She is preaching very loudly in the background. I hope, I don't know if y'all can hear her, but she is she is in agreement and I completely agree, you know, and this is one of those things where like it can get overwhelming, right? Because people think yeah. about big systems and they think, well, what can I do to change that? I think it's super simple in terms of you starting with your community and your immediate circle, right? Like go to that parent-teacher conference, go to the community center, like have conversations, like participate in these youth programs, right? Be a mentor, offer up your time, talk to the people uh, who you're around, right? Those are very small things that you can do that doesn't take a lot of effort, but makes all the difference, right? Um, And just showing up. Right. Vote. You know, I always get encouraged when I see people staying in lines for like six hours because they want to make sure they they cast their vote. You know, it's 
yeah, there's small things, intangible things that we can all do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I push voting every time. You know, we're getting we're getting ready for another election year next year. So yes. <laughs> now is the time to look at those leaders who want to start running and what their impact is. Right. And and then hold them accountable afterwards. Right. Like show up to the halls and ask all the questions and all the things, you know, um, mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit to the families and the youth that you helped. And I want to understand a little bit on what you think prevents our families, right, current and older generations or younger and older generations from seeking therapy or any kind of assistance. Um, You know, we hear a lot of, oh, I didn't find a therapist for me or, you know, my parents don't believe in this, et cetera. What do you what do you see in your work with the community? What some of the barriers are? So can you hear me? Yeah. I think my connection uh, went a little cuckoo uh, as you were talking. <laughs> um, I understood the question. Yeah. Um, if I capture it correctly and you, you can let me know. So, I, you know, I think there, there's so many barriers, but also opportunities. Um, and I think coming back to the stigma, this idea of when is it that I, what does it mean for me to get help outside of what I know? You know, I, I think um, there's many communities who rely on like familial support, family support, and also may seek other non-traditional ways of, of getting support. Uh, so that that's an asset when we can still have other supports like church uh, and so on. But I think this idea that you know, it's bad to talk about our issues with other people. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot in, in therapy that, you know, when, when st- we start processing um, about what may impact someone, people may feel really guilty to feel like they're talking about their family or they're talking about someone that they love. So I think it's, it's the stigma part that not... Um, feeling like um, they, this space is a space that um, could be helpful to, you know, people sometimes may experience um, getting, feeling better through other ways of coping, other ways that they may have with coping. Sometimes people may turn to what we call maladaptive coping, maybe drinking or other ways. Um, so sometimes like the lack of urgency of why I need to go to therapy can also get in the way. And I think one, one of the things that we're seeing with the young generation is that sometimes I get calls from people who are like, I just want to learn how to take care of myself better. And, and that's exactly right. Mental health or getting mental health support is not just when you're in crisis. It can be just to learn about yourself. It can just be to um, process something that is happening or, or get some ideas for tools on how to navigate things. So knowing what this space is for, I mean, uh, some I, I have clients who are like, I want you to help me build a self-care plan. And, and, you know, and sometimes we may lead, that may lead to like deeper things that they want to process. But, but I think it's important that the fam that our families and communities know that, um, First, you're not weak for seeking therapy. You know, I always say, you know, su comadre quizás está en terapia y usted ni siquiera lo sabe porque no hablan. Like, your comadre may be in therapy, but you don't know because you don't talk about it. You know, it's such taboo yes. therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's like getting better and, you know, you're you're not you're not uh, coming to therapy. And, and I think another thing that is really helpful is that for us that they do 
have this experience and have um, benefited from therapy to talk about it in, mm-hmm. in part where we feel safe, right? Like we may not feel safe with, with everyone, but we can start where, where we feel safe. Um, so th- those are some ideas that come to mind. I think uh, we were talking about systems as well, lack of uh, maybe therapists who, who understand culture or who understand what experiences um people may may have sometimes lack of insurance you know like there's there's many people who are still uninsured in our communities not knowing where to uh, come for services I always tell people one hopefully everyone has a primary care doctor and if not you should go find one (laughs) many clinics who uh, are free for people who may not have the resources but that's a place to start navigating with your primary care doctor because they have many connections in the community as well yeah, I love that. And there's just so many, there's just so many things, right? Like <laughs> if your comadre is out here getting therapy, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Yes, <laughs> and I think exactly. that's the whole point, right? Is like, but then you don't know about it if you don't talk about it, right? If you're not asking the questions or or you know, wanting to to know more, how do you how do you guide the youth in particular to have these conversations with parents, grandparents, tios, tias to have, you know, a sit down on, Hey, I, I think I need help, or I really want to go see someone or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like we're finding very different opinions in the different generations. How do you even start to have the conversations? Because a lot of the times the youth are stuck in, they don't have access to the insurance information, or they don't have the funds, or they can't drive themselves right. Like there's so many other things that prevent even just youth from getting help. So how do you have those conversations with with that particular generation? Yeah, you know, in many states, uh, there's um, like an age requirement for therapy. I think in in some states, for instance, youth um, who are 16 and up, uh, from 16 on can get therapy on their own. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's something really important to, to kind of consider. I, I like how you even open it up with with that statement. Like I need I need support. I think first just making the choice, making that decision to be able to find support is already a huge de- decision. Yeah. And, and for families who may be on the fence or who we may feel like um, uh, they may not be supportive. I think one thing is really important to find the right time to have these conversations. Mm. So I always. Well, don't don't do it when you're watching like la telenovela or like the new <laughs> like, this is an important topic so create the space to have that conversation like maybe telling uh someone your parent or a family member hey there's something really important i'd like to talk to you about can we make some time for that conversation yeah focus on what you need you know i think sometimes uh, what i've seen is that sometimes parents may internalize i did something wrong so this mm-hmm. is they say, no 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 like you can't go there like so 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 um making sure that that we focus the conversation on what is it that I need I am yeah. struggling with you know ac- academics in school I am struggling with my self worth I am struggling with my self esteem I would like to get some support and it would be really meaningful for me um to get support from you you know and that may I love and- that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and if we have any parents listening, and if we have um, other people who support youth and children, um, it is also our job to be attentive to what they need, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's uh, counselors at the school level, there's counselors 
Um, you know, I have a lot of toys in my in the, in my bookshelf. We play like in, in therapy with children and youth. Sometimes they may not be verbal and tell you how they feel, but they may draw it or they may play through it. So there's many ways that we can kind of get to see what's happening uh, with someone who's struggling. Mm. So it takes a lot of courage to have these conversations. Uh, sometimes I say, find the one person in your family who's going to be supportive. Maybe it's not your parents. Maybe it's your tío, your tía, and your uncle. Find an advocate who will help you, who understands, will be on your side and will help you advocate. Because this can be really scary for someone to try to do on their own as well. Who yeah. is that person? whether it's a teacher, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's someone that you trust and maybe has some influence on your parents or, or your families as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then while you're having those conversations, how important do you think language is and plays in this process, right? I'm talking language in terms of articulating what mental health is in general, but also language in terms of like, you know, speaking different languages. Like I grew up speaking Spanish and there are just some things that don't directly translate uh you know and we have all of these sayings in spanish that like you know tapando el dedo con un so- or tapando el sol con un dedo or you know aquí you know aquí se queda todo en la casa or whatever it is right there there's always these these small phrases that impact the way that we think about certain things even though we're living in a very you know different time so how, how what's your take on that mm-hmm. yes um you know i think it's, you know, it's important to know the people that we're talking to, and maybe we may have a sense of how they already feel about therapy or consejería, you know, counseling Mm -hmm. or therapy. They may already be strong feelings when you hear those words. So so I like to sometimes soften it to, I like to talk to someone to get support, you know, Mm -hmm. and you may have someone say, but you can talk to me, you know, and and that's sometimes what we hear. And yes, I can talk to you, but I would also like to talk to someone else who um, can be neutral or who uh, I may feel like I can totally open up about the, the situation. So I, if if we feel like the people that we're talking to already have strong feelings about the words therapy, mental health, uh, counseling. We can use other type of language, like I would like to get support, you know, mm-hmm. I would like mm-hmm. to learn how to better deal with X, Y, and Z, you know, I would like to, um, you know, I always have this line. I haven't had a client tell it to their, their parents yet or tell it to other people, but I always say this, I, um, we go to our doctors for our uh, physical care. Where do we go to for our hearts and our mind care, you know, mm-hmm. so, these are the role of many therapists. And, and yeah, you know, I think um, we can try to have the right language, but I think what's also really important is affirming yourself in what you need. You know, even when someone says, no, we're not going to allow you to do that, or we don't think that's a good idea. If you feel like you need it, like affirm yourself that that's what you need and, and, and work with other people who can support that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That that's so important. It's so important. I, you know who else says that is the uh, U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, he, um, who I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times now. But he also references that very same saying is that we should refer to our mental health the same way we do our physical, right? We wouldn't ignore a broken bone. And so why are we ignoring our mental health, right? Um, but I think that's absolutely powerful and absolutely right. Um, and we should treat it the same way it is um, for, for our physical health. Uh, before we wrap up here, 
Are there any resources that you'd like to share for the people listening, whether that's for youth or families or anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. So on my website, uh, we start with my website and I'll direct you to other community uh, resources. On my website, hopecenterforwellness.com, I created a bilingual section for resources that has many different things, uh, many different handouts, one that has an entire listing of how to get help and support uh, in your community or wherever you may be, uh, and, and many other uh, handouts that can enhance our well-being. But you know, in terms of people asking, well, where do I begin with um, finding a therapist? If you have insurance, um, call your insurance and they have mental health providers that they can recommend. If you have a primary care doctor, start there. If you're in the school system, talk to a counselor, your, your child's counselor or your, your counselor if you're a child listening or a youth. And then there's many other networks. There's uh, websites like psychologytoday.com where we can browse through um, different therapies based on the insurance we have or our, or our budget. And if we were looking for people who are, who speak our language or maybe within our culture, there's many different resources out there. There's networks like Latinx Therapy or Therapies for Latinx. There's a network or therapy for black girls. There's many things out there. I have that on my resources uh, section on the website. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of courage. And, you know, in Spanish, I say, terapia no es de locos, es de valientes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Say it again. Say it one more time. Terapia no es de locos, es de valientes. <laughs> for those who don't know Spanish, therapy is not for crazies. It's for the valiant. Um, well, is that's a technical translation, but I love that. I love that. That is so, so beautiful. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. It does. It does. It is for the courageous. Um, also shout out to Adriana from Latinx therapy. I was on a panel with her last year. She's so amazing and doing great things and highly recommend her directory. Uh, we will put all of that in the show notes so that everyone has access to all the resources and all that good stuff. But Cheryl, I just wanted to, to thank you and just tell you how grateful I am for all the work that you do and for showing up. I'm going to have to make the trip across the bridge so we can get coffee one day. <laughs> we cannot be this close and not, and not see each other in person. Um, and just, you know, keep going, you know, we see you and your work is important and you're making all of the difference. Uh, so if anyone hasn't told you that today, I just wanted to be the one to tell you. So thank you so much. Yeah, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing because having these conversations about mental health is what helps break the stigma around mental health. So the more conversations, the more we talk about it, the more we're going to normalize mental health. And kudos to Senator Featherman because he's leading the way by taking yeah. care of himself so we can have more conversations like this. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Well, you all heard it here. Keep having the conversations. It matters. Uh, keep talking about it. Keep, uh, you know, putting yourself first and taking care of yourself. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much.